Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I've lived on Long Island for six years. This is not Long Island. Yeah, how many, how many mountains are in Long Island? I have yet to see one. No one's going to see this podium. What is good? It is a delight to be here in your lovely city. It is my first time doing a live show here for anything. I'm very excited to bring this show to you. My apologies of the movie that I've brought to you tonight. But it's okay because of all the cities where we'll be covering this interesting film, you are getting the portion of the film that includes Nathan Fillion, which is the highlight of the film. So you can take pride knowing that of all the Texas cities, you won in terms of the most digestible portion of this crap film. But in order to fully dissect this film, I can't just talk about it alone. I'm never on this journey alone to discuss Percy Jackson-related things. So let's introduce our guests, the first of which is someone that you may know from their various appearances on the podcast, especially when they talk about their views and thoughts that may or may not be their own. Please welcome our first guest at the stage, Stephen Para. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Para. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hello, San Antonio. <laughs> And we don't have just one San Antonio area boy for the show tonight. I've got a double dosage of Bernie Texas boys. This is our next guest is someone that you might know from their incredible work on Big Screen Sports, a fantastic podcast. Please make some noise for Kyle Banduho. Thank you, thank you. Folks, I can't believe this movie didn't win the Oscars. <laughs> Uh, I don't think they give an Oscar for worst adaptation. <laughs> those are Razzies. <laughs> those are Razzies indeed. Now, for the purposes of this show, Stephen has obviously read the books and seen the movie. Kyle, you... <laughs> we got some paras in the house tonight. <laughs> but Kyle has only seen the film. You've not read the books. You haven't even seen the first film, right? You've just seen the second. I saw the second today, like uh -huh. four hours ago. <laughs> so, so just completely fresh. Overall thoughts, we're always just trying to have like someone that can kind of be the control group. Overall, what was, uh, what was your thought of this film? My 10-year-old thought it ripped. <laughs> he loved it. He was, he was dialed in, didn't even let the start of the Cowboys game distract him, which is rare. Um, certainly a film. Yeah, that is like, by the definition. Actors, dialogue, all that stuff. They filmed it, yeah, yeah. Obviously, like, I have a lot of questions. Uh, you had told me when we were talking about prep 
like that this was a sequel, but they tried to make it a standalone. Yeah, it was a sequel, but the first one had gone over so poorly with the fans that my understanding is that they were like, don't worry about the first one, everybody. It's okay. You don't need to. And that's why in the beginning of the movie, you have the narration from Percy where he's like, here's the whole plot of how the world works. I'm Percy Jackson. Now here's the movie. It, so- <laughs> it sounds like he's reading it at gunpoint. Like it, it's, it sounds very forced. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. So when we did the first portion of the show in Austin, we got up until the point where Mr. D picks Clarice to go on the quest. So that is where we're going to pick it up. We'll see how far we can get through and Mm -hmm. uh, what wonderfully fun discussions about the film we have. So Percy tries to warn Clarice about the danger of going on this quest, but she's having none of it. And we then, after this conversation, see Percy just kind of sitting with Riptide, which is a clicky pen, which makes no sense. In the books, it's like a cap pen so that you don't accidentally cut off your thumb every time you try to use it. That addresses one of my questions. Okay, <laughs> good, good, good. The, the, the pen sword. Yeah, I know you have a, I know you have a list of questions. I, I wonder how many we will answer just by explaining, well, in the books, this is what happens, and then you'd be like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better hope we get a lot of them on, because the, if not, I'm just texting you every single one. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how many we can get to. If we got to go rapid fire at the end of the act, you can just be like, what's this going on? Why is... Chiron is a horse so small, on and on and on. on. (laughs) So he's just clicking and unclicking the pen, and he keeps repeating, cursed blade shall reap, cursed blade shall reap, trying to figure out what it means from the prophecy. And he's doing this thing that he does in this movie where he talks to Poseidon about his imposter syndrome. But what's weird in this section, this goes against the book and general mythology, is he says, oh, dad, this sword used to be yours. And then, of course, the camera zooms in on a trident in case you forget his dad is Poseidon. (laughs) It's like, this sword used to be yours. It was not his sword. It was never his sword. It was Hercules' sword. (laughs) I don't know why they have decided to change that. But Percy and Annabeth then decide the next day that they want to go after the fleece too. And they're going to bring along Grover. And the justification that Percy is trying to give Grover is that the prophecy is supposed to be about me, so I should go on the quest. Grover says that he will go, but he needs to pack a bag and check his health insurance first before leaving. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> That's a fun joke. I guess Grover is the... I, don't, I guess it, well, it could depend 26. on. I was going to say it could yeah. depend on the age. He's either 26 and the oldest, or he's the youngest and his older sibling just turned 26, which is what happened to me. Once my mm-hmm. sister turned 26 and I was fresh out of college, my parents were like, "You better figure out the healthcare system, bud. We're not paying <laughs> for family plans anymore." Do we know where this camp is supposed to be? It is supposed to. Oh, you, oh, this is great. Okay. <laughs> yes. This is why we get. It looks like lovely real estate. So, okay, well, where would you guess it is based on the scenery? How how vague? Like I was thinking, like the the, north, I would give the you North, north America, the Northeast. Okay, that's interesting because it's supposed to be Long Island. Okay, it is not. It is filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's uh, certainly more mountainous than Long Island, and Stephen would yes. know. <laughs> I've lived on Long Island for six years. This is not Long Island. Yeah, how many, how many mountains are in Long Island? I have yet to see one. <laughs> I, I was thinking it was like New Hampshire or something okay. like that, like yeah, somewhere, yeah. somewhere nice. But sure. Yeah, I don't know. But it, lo- it looks lovely, though. It looks like it, a lovely time. It does look like so a lovely time. It's like the time. risk of death. <laughs> <laughs> so the team is getting ready. They're getting ready to sneak out, and they're getting all sneaky 
but someone ruins the sneakiness, and that's Tyson. Tyson tries to join, but he's making a bunch of noise because based on the sound of it, his bag is entirely composed of empty aluminum cans. <laughs> like, that is the only noise made of this backpack. But those are jingling around. That gets people attention. There is a funny line here. I think they say something when the other people watching guard hear them, they go like, oh, we're watching Guard 2, which like is a fun joke, and it's very rare that those exist in this film. <laughs> Tyson wants to go on this quest because Polyphemus is supposed to be where the fleece is, and Polyphemus, the bad guy, is a Cyclops, and Tyson's like, oh yeah, well, you know, we can talk Cyclops to Cyclops. Okay, I have to clarify. Sure. His justification is he takes off his glasses, which mm-hmm. shows this terrible CGI Cyclops eye, stares Percy straight in his two eyes, and just goes, you do it for me. They've shared three sentences throughout the entire movie. <laughs> one of which is just Percy saying, okay, you can eat my plate. Yeah. And almost and no one has said anything nice to Tyson the whole time. Yeah. Whoa. Everyone is mean to him. Yeah. About that eye, which like, I get it. If I saw like a bad CGI eye, I'd be <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But it's, he should hate all these people. <laughs> it's weird. He's a wonderfully nice soul and... He's great in the books. And I think this guy's fine in the movie. It's truly just like the writing. They don't know what to do with Tyson. They mm-hmm. don't know what to keep, what to make different. He's supposed to be more like childlike and naive in the book. But in the movie, he's just like perfectly adult, well-spoken. And basically, they've just made him nicer than everybody else. And that's it. I have a, yeah. I have a question now. Sure. When they're embarking in the book, do they have more of a plan? Because this whole movie is like, it's like an episode of Entourage. Like, hey, it's just going to work out. <laughs> there's, there's certainly a bit more of a plan. A big thing that helps is that Percy and Grover have an empathy link in the books. So Percy, through dreams and sometimes like speaking to each other, he can kind of like see what's going on with Grover. So I think he has m- at least more understanding of like what's on the other side of this. And Grover in the book, sorry, it, it, we're yeah, going to be here for a very difference. long yeah. time. <laughs> Grover is just straight up like captured by Polyphemus basically. So it's more of a rescue mission to save Grover as opposed to in this movie where it's the second movie in the franchise, but it's also the last movie in the franchise where it's like the fleece saves the world now. It's very different. Yeah. Okay. That answers some questions. Create some more, but by all means continue. (laughs) Yeah. But basically it's like their motivation was actually to save Grover. It had nothing to do with going for the fleece at all. It's just so it happened to coincide with a separate quest. Right. And also Hermes sets them off on the journey. It's yes. Like, it's a whole different like set of motivations. Yeah. And Hermes incidents. is far more helpful, but he is yes. still fun in this movie and we'll get to him soon. Now, Tyson yeah. lets us know that Polyphemus lives on Circe land, which is not a thing in the books. It's a weird combination of two things of two separate books in the series. So in book two, they go to Circe's island, famously from mythology, where she traps you in and does that stuff. And I think in the myths, she like turns people into pigs, stuff like that. Guinea pigs in the book. one, books. at one point, they have to go to a broken down water park to get Ares's shield. And it's like a whole separate thing. So what they've decided to do, I guess, to make it up to the fans is they were like, oh, everybody wanted Waterland, right? Let's combine that with Cersei and have no Cersei, but we'll put Polyphemus there and it's Cersei land now. And so they, they talk about everyone who's gone after the fleece has died. And this is this like very difficult, horrible quest and thing. Like it's just, it's one guy with bad eyesight in a uh-huh. theme park. Right. It's yeah. being super manageable. <laughs> yeah. nope. I feel like there's one down the road. Like, we could go there. Yeah. They're in and out of there in like three minutes. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, it's wild. So Annabeth <laughs> doesn't want to go on this quest with a Cyclops. Grover refuses to go without one. In the books, Grover canonically is afraid of Cyclopes because of what happens to him in book two, but that just gets thrown out the window. Percy tells Annabeth basically to knock off the racism, and then she fumes and says <laughs> that she hates that she has to use her precious mist spray on Tyson's eye because apparently his eye will be very distracting. Even though he already has giant sunglasses to block them, she's like, not good enough. In the books, the mist is this magical thing that basically allows the people from the magical ancient Greek side of things to be hidden from the mortal world. And you'll see an example of this later in the film, even though they <laughs> changed the myth. So you know how they go to the coffee shop and there's like guy with the arms and then they show you a guy and he's looking and he looks normal. That's what the mist is supposed to be. But instead what they've done is they've made mist like Abercrombie and Fitch spray <laughs> <laughs> like so, th so that was another one of my questions that if they're trying to make this a standalone, they didn't at all explain why, like when they go to Nathan Fillion's UPS store, right. why they can suddenly see that right. it's, it's special and why they can see that the guy with the arms in the movie is the concept that they are just constantly spraying themselves with this stuff the whole time. No, the they, concept is just that in the first movie, they kind of have the mist, but they don't like ever talk about it. Weirdly, it just like never comes up, even though it's a pretty important thing. And then in the second movie, they just have both versions of mist, but they talk about one and they don't talk about the other, but they do show you it multiple times. And then there's also this other component that they treat dyslexia as a superpower in a way that you're able to read ancient Greek or things that are hidden. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons like the UPS reforms into the Olympus package service or whatever. So that's another thing. He mentions the thing like, oh, my, it's like my dyslexia when uh -huh. he's seeing the map. Yeah. But if I had not seen the commercial for the new Percy Jackson series that shows, <laughs> yeah. I would have had no idea what yeah. he was just, really? It's like, so weird. You see the first movie. <laughs> it's a weird flip because in the first movie, they show you his dyslexia all the time. Like they really mm -hmm. have to drive it home. Every time Percy looks at anything with letters on it, it's like, whoa. And yeah. then in the second movie, it's like, well, he should mention it once, I guess. And then they he sees the grids and the longitude and latitude lines are way too close to each other. <laughs> anyway, so she, Annabeth, sprays Tyson with way too much mist. Like, she just has to cover the eye, and then she's like, <laughs> like, unleashes the whole thing on him. And then the CGI goes away. He's got his two eyes. The VFX team fist pumps because they can stop doing <laughs> the eye. So Percy then says to Tyson, oh, you kind of look like dad. And then Annabeth goes, he's still a Cyclops because she's racist. Yeah. So yes, I, I, I have another. In the first movie, did Percy meet Poseidon? Like, does he know yes, what Poseidon? Yes. Okay, so he knows what dad looks like. Right. In this movie, he's just like dipping his hand in the water. Yeah. Like, no. Hey, dad, I understand that Greek mythology is a lot about daddy issues, but he's just like, hey, dad. <laughs> and, yeah. And for, for my mom in the audience, Poseidon was played by Dr. Owen Hunt from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. So, which is funny because yeah. when, when he says the Tyson actor looks like a redheaded man. It's like, yeah. you really don't look like this guy yeah. at all, but we got to get something in there. Yeah. So then they whistle for a cab, and when it gets near, we learn that it's actually the night bus from uh, Harry Potter. Yep. It is. I caught yeah. this. It's not yes. just the night bus from Harry Potter. It's the night bus meets the Ford Anglia, also from Harry Potter. <laughs> Could you tell this movie was uh, produced by Chris Columbus? So I kind of, is this, is this in the book? The, the taxi cab is, but it doesn't fly in. They call it in New York, and it's like a gray cab that like comes up from the sidewalk. Like it appears up from the ground. 
So they were just like, this worked really well in Harry Potter. Let's run that back. I they guess, actually took yeah. it to camp. Now they're taking it away from camp. It's exactly. this whole... Eh. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's weird and it's like fine because the drive itself is pretty close to what happens in the book, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be really hectic. They've just done it in a different way this time. I also do love the three women that they get to be the Grey Sisters is very fun. Mm-hmm. One of them is Yvette Nicole Brown, who I love from her various character actor work. So that's kind of fun. The other thing that was fun is the Ganymede, like New York City cab thing. Like if you ever take a New York City cab, oftentimes you'll get the really annoying video things in the back where like Maria Menounos is like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> It's me. I show up all the time when you're bored and waiting for things. I'm going to tell you about fun stuff. And we were getting gas today, and Maria Menounos was there at the gas pump. And I was like, how are you always here? You're at the movies when I'm waiting for the previews to start. You're at the gas station. You're in cabs. She's ever-present. The heat death of the universe will come, and Maria Menounos will still be there. Yeah. Hey, I've noticed the world is ending. It's me, Maria Menounos. I, I'm not going to do her laugh because of recording this, and I don't need it. Recorded either, but it's bad. It's not good. (laughs) Maria, come on the pod. Anyway, so (laughs) then they are in the cab. Somehow four people fit in the back seat, but whatever. And then Percy does the thing where he holds their eye hostage, and then they say the vague numbers that turn out to be the coordinates of the Bermuda Triangle, or as I thought when I wrote them down improperly on the podcast, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. So then the Grey sisters slam on the brakes when they overhear that the fare is too high and the kids aren't going to be able to pay the full price. So they kick them off and then they're dropped off in D.C. Because apparently this movie is also book three in the series, The Titan's Curse, where they go to D.C. They're just really like, how do we get everything in the mix? I love the character assassination of Annabeth. And by love, I mean I really hate it. It's tough. (laughs) Because the way they find out they don't have the fare is Annabeth very like blatantly whispers to Percy, I think we're kind of light on drachmas. Yeah, like... It's like, the child of the god of wisdom is just going to yell that they don't have enough money. Yeah, did you get the vibe that Annabeth is supposed to be the smart one in the movie? I thought that they were going for that, but we discussed this a little bit backstage. They give her nothing. It is just a (laughs) blank slate. She's not doing the best job. I I love Alexandra Dario and other things. This is not one of them. Uh, But... She's either Captain Obvious or she's just a jerk. Yeah. There's a, it's like one or the other. They really give her no reason to be likable. No, nothing at all. Nothing she at all. She read a book this time. I just remembered. She was. Remember she brings Dister D the book, like the fleece. Oh, right. It's in a book. Oh, because she's the smart yeah. one. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Smart it. people yeah. read books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then Tyson tries to call on Zeus to help them get to Florida where they need to go. Percy says, that's not Olympus, and they're looking at the Capitol building, and Tyson says, oh, it looks like Olympus, and then Grover goes right down to the dudes who only care about themselves. I'm here for it. I'll take an (laughs) anti-government rant. Sure, why not? Love that for him. Yeah. So then they use an ATM. Ganymede is back. Great. Love it. (laughs) Grover then at the coffee shop where the ATM machine is, oh, sorry, ATM, not machine, where the (laughs) ATM is, Grover asks for an extra shot of nectar, which makes the barista's eyes light up green and then she speaks according to the captions in a foreign language and she just says like taka 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 nectar <laughs> it's not very <laughs> complex <laughs> okay can you can you guys explain nectar for me because yeah. that okay. it's like here's it's, another fun question what do you think it is <laughs> is it crack like I mean, <laughs> in this movie it's basically just I'm, tequila <laughs> they, yeah they just their eyes just yeah. light up it's like <laughs> in the 
books, it's supposed to be this magical drink that heals you. You can't drink too much of it because then it's like too strong and it'll like, you know, make your eyes feel like they're burning. But it's supposed to be this magical thing that just heals you if you're wounded in battle or something like mm -hmm. that. And it tastes like whatever is the most important or comforting thing to you. So Percy's tastes like his mom's homemade chocolate chip cookies. But in this, it's just a drug. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Exa that's exactly what it seems like. Right. Again, this movie... Mission just, accomplished. They just do so many things where they try to take anything that they left on the cutting room floor in the first one, and they're like, what if we just put any reference that people will get? We're not going to make it make sense. We're not going to make it fit in the story. We're not going to give any context. We're just going to let people be like, oh, yeah, it's the thing. And, and then, it's, if anything, it's more frustrating that they're like, oh, we've introduced Nectar. It's wrong, but it's here. Yeah. Uh, it's so, so, so first time watch at like this point in the movie, mm -hmm. how mad are you guys respectively watching? This? Uh, I was at this point being like, why does everyone call this one worse? Like there were some things that weren't good, but I was like, this is certainly more fun than the first one. At yeah. least they're making choices. Once we get to the yacht, ugh, then it just really started yeah, to fall for me. Yeah, it's like you know, like a roller coaster. We're kind of going up. I'm like, okay, we're just at the crest. Like we're about to fall. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite gotten there the yet. The peak is Nathan Fillion, and we're about to get there. Yeah. I will say, I, I was never not entertained for one reason or another. Like sometimes you're just like, wow, oh, this is kind of bad. Like this yeah. is just. But, but I was like. If I didn't have any background, which I didn't, I probably wouldn't be as mad as if I had read the source text and was like, yeah. that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. I think the biggest thing, someone pointed this out when we were doing the patron stream watch along party mm -hmm. of us watching it. Someone in the chat said, movie two is not necessarily a bad movie. It's just a really bad adaptation. And I think that that is accurate. Like yeah. as a film, it's fine. It's not great. There's some fun moments, but as an adaptation, it's pretty frustrating. And in comparison of the second to the first, I would say the highs of the second movie are higher. The lows are lower. The first one's just kind of like bad and boring throughout and just kind of like gets more and more frustrating as it goes. This one's like, oh, we're having a good time. And then they're on the yacht and it's like, no, it's not fun yeah. anymore. And it just <laughs> yeah. really, really takes a dive. It's funny to me too, because like the movie is screaming that there was budget cuts during production. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is Tyson's eye. They're just like, oh, it's so like, bad. Like, it looks so bad, but then also like cover it somehow. Yeah. Spray with mist, put on the glasses. We can't do this. We can't afford to make a good eye. Yeah. The bull thing was not good either. I know we've no. already passed yeah. that, but that was yeah. not great. <laughs> and that's the 3D because it came out in the 3D era. So a lot of that. Oh, wow. What an era that was. I know, right? Yeah. From 2013 <laughs> to 2014. It was a really... Let's bring 3D back. Remember they tried to have you have 3D TVs in your home? People thought that was going to be a thing shout out to anyone who bought one of those <laughs> but <laughs> did you guys buy it to the party the bar family had a 3d i don't TV? know did we oh, okay okay we'll, okay, we'll talk about it later we'll talk about, yeah. it, yeah, talk about that later that's the after party yeah. so <laughs> we, we then at the coffee shop see the baristas the person on the receiving end of taka 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 nectar is a guy who has all of the arms so it's just peter parker from that one <laughs> issue where he accidentally you know gets extra arms mm -hmm. and Grover calls him Hecatonkery, which is again like a kind of reference. There's a Greek mythological thing of the Hecatonkeries. There are these beings that are also called the hundred-handed ones. They have a hundred arms. In the fourth book, we meet one of the Hecatonkeries, and it's like Tyson's idol, and then he tries to like bring him out of sadness. So again, it's just like, let's take another Easter egg we can throw in. But now this guy's name is the thing he is. But I guess Pegasus is called Pegasus sometimes too, so whatever. But yeah. they got him in the mix. But then they show the weird thing of like how the mist is supposed to work so it's just very confusing what are we doing here then grover as he walks outside just gets mugged by the demi titans as one does 
and one of them is Chris, and they have to keep pointing out constantly in this movie, they're like, Chris! Like, anytime Chris is on screen, he's someone that in the books, like, does turn to the evil side and is kind of Luke's henchman for a little bit, and then he comes back over to the good side. He's like a, like, if you had to put him in Harry Potter terms, like, he would be, like, like a Seamus-level character, where you're like, okay, yeah, he's around, and we know him by his name, but he's not huge. But in this movie, you would think he's, like, Harry Potter. You're like, Chris, 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 every time I, I, I see him. I will say it was helpful for me for them to keep identifying <laughs> who he was. <laughs> oh, that's Chris. He stayed behind when people were fighting the bull. That's yep. that guy. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he barely people like speaks. Me. So right. no, he, just, like, he says almost nothing. No, he, he just, you know, I think the only line he has is, nah, I'm good. When yeah. they're going to fight the bull, and then and that's the least of your problems yeah. on the boat. And then uh, when he gets punched in the face a couple of times. So Grover gets mugged by them. He still has his crutches for some reason. In the first movie, it's like a thing where he uses those. There's like things to disguise Grover having his goat legs or Chiron being a horse. They have like some stuff like that to help with the myth that doesn't exist or maybe does exist in this movie franchise. We're not sure. Yo, I actually got to talk. Once again, budget cuts. Yeah. His legs look so much worse in the yeah, second movie. It's, tough. it's like they're just like like shaggy wool pants, basically. They're just draped over his legs. At least before uh-huh. they tried to like get the goat anatomy in the first movie. This time it was just like, he had baggy pants. Right, and he just walks like a normal person. Yeah. Like he at least kind of goat walks in the first one, and this one he's just like, a dude. Yeah. <laughs> the the crutch seems like he's only using it at certain times. Oh, he's very yeah. much not relying on it. It's only like when they need it to show after they've like zapped him away to the yacht or wherever that it's on the ground. Right, yeah, he uses it more as a weapon than as an actual crutch. Like he hits some people with it and then he gets teleported away. Teleportation, not a thing in the books, but used often in the films. So then Annabeth sees a UPS truck and gets an idea. So they go to a UPS store and then it changes to OPS, which stands for the Olympic Parcel Service. Ha 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 ha. So they go inside and then they very rudely interrupt Nathan Fillion, who is helping a nice old lady try to ship something, rather than wait in line, immediately they're like, uh, hi, we're, we're waiting for Hermes. And then he says, quote, I'm sorry to be the god of obviousness, but I'm with a customer. Great. Every line he has is great. I have so many quotes for him because all his quotes are fantastic. <laughs> but then he goes on to charge the woman 250 drachma to ship the shield overnight to Hades. It was to Hades. Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> But the 250 drachmas was wild because drachma in Percy Jackson are supposed to kind of be like John Wick coins where they're like transactional. So 250 of them is like truly like I've won the lottery money and that's just to ship one thing. Just price gouging grandma. I know. It's really putting her out. So then Annabeth says to this person who is unnamed at this point, but pretty obviously is going to be Hermes if it's cast as Nathan Fillion, not just going to be random UPS guy. (laughs) But Annabeth says it's important, and Fillion says, yeah, I could tell based on the way you bust in all rude-like. <laughs> and then Percy says that the son that they're asking about is Luke Castellan, and then Fillion gets all serious and wonders aloud, what has my wayward boy gotten up to now? And then Annabeth goes, wait, you're? And then Fillion goes, Hermes, little upset you didn't recognize me, but in her defense, he was cast as a different person in the first movie, so... <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, yes. they, like, the gods don't have too much interaction in the first one, except you've got Dr. Owen Hunt as Poseidon, and then Sean Bean as oh. Zeus. He doesn't die. Oh, wow, I was just yeah. about to ask. He stays alive. <laughs> and then you have all the other 
Olympians, you meet them at the very end, and I don't think any of them are famous actors, or at least I didn't recognize any of them. Hermes gets like one screen of FaceTime when he learns that his son was the bad guy, and he just kind of gives a look of like, huh, huh, huh me, huh? But then now nope, never heard of him. Yeah, never heard, never heard of him. And then now it's Nathan Fillion this time. And wasn't Tucci and Rupert from Ted Lasso were also different people in the first one? Rupert from Ted Lasso was a different person. That was Pierce Brosnan in the first movie. Uh huh. Really? They were like, gotta keep a British guy here. I've Budget cuts. But Tucci <laughs> was just not in the first movie. They just decided to not have the person who's in charge of the camp in the first movie. Bring in the vibes. Yeah. But also, Tucci. Clarice is not in the first Clarice movie. Clarice is not in the first movie. Wait, really? They just yeah. combine her with Annabeth in the first movie? How many times am I gonna say, wait, really? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> we should get a counter going. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they just kind of like combined Clarice and Annabeth in the first movie. So you watch the first one, and you're like, ah, man, they're giving Annabeth nothing. And then you watch the second movie, and they're like, she somehow has less. Yeah, I just thought, <laughs> I just, I assume there was a backstory with Clarice because she was such a mega jerk from the get go. And like, mm -hmm. that's everyone's first introduction to her. She's just supposed mm -hmm. to be kind of like the bully, but it's like established that she has some reasons to be a bully in the first book and supposedly should have been in the first movie. But in the second one, she's like, I hate Percy. I'm going to make fun of everybody. I hate the world and yet they have so much more chemistry so than he has Alexander Daddario that's another <laughs> they're not are supposed there, to no, they, nothing zero nothing, zero nothing, absolute we zero we're, no but yeah, in the movie okay. yeah mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. yep yep yep, yep, yep. <laughs> now Fillion goes on and he's just great as they are walking towards a back room he says he would have had hurt feelings for them not recognizing him if he wasn't so self-confident citing look at me killing it in these shorts <laughs> then he takes him to a back room which is this huge magical shipping warehouse and he magically transforms into wearing a full suit with a tie that he says is from hermes which is a perfect joke great stuff and then he gets handed a caduceus to carry around and he then starts spitting game about the warehouse and other trying to expand and all this other stuff like that. Percy begins to rush him on a bit because he's saying this is really important, this is really important. So Fillion says, take it easy. Rome wasn't built in a day. Trust me, I was there. Great, it's so good. I don't know if like someone else wrote his lines, like maybe he wrote his own or improv half of them, <laughs> but like this part of the film is fantastic. And it's just such yeah. stark contrast to everything else that proceeds and follows it. He's cooking. He's cooking. Mm -hmm. We then overhear George and Martha a bit, the two snakes, and they're played by Craig Robinson and Octavia Spencer. The casting department for the adults is just knocking it out of the park. They're also mm -hmm. fantastic. Well, and the movie is noticeably worse when there are no adults on the screen. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> Big drop once we leave all our fun adult friends. Hermes tells them that they need to elongate their S's when they meet new people for the right <laughs> vibes. Martha is offended because snakes don't actually talk like that. It's just a stereotype. George <laughs> says it's bad enough that some of their relatives are hanging out with Medusa and turning people into stone. Great banter. And this is true to the book. Like George mm -hmm. and Martha always kind of have playful arguments either with themselves or with Hermes. So this dynamic has really translated well into the movie. Hermes then asks the snakes to demi-Google Luke for them, which is nothing, just absolutely nothing. Demi Google Luke for them to learn his whereabouts. And then there's just one line where Nathan Fillion sounds very New York because after giving these instructions, he goes, Luke, I don't know what to do about him. And it's just like out of nowhere. We're just like, hey, my son, gah. So, <laughs> Luke is Tommy DeVito's brother. Yeah. <laughs> so he says Luke is angry and he holds a grudge like no other aside from his mom. And it's like, whoa, May Castellan, more like caught a stray Castellan oh. out of nowhere. I, like in the books, his mom's perfectly fine and just like honestly gets caught in harm's way by being 
in a relationship with Hermes. Nothing is really her fault. So it's very weird to have a line like taking a dig at her. It seems more of just like a classic like dad grumbling with ex-wife kind of joke, but that's not the dynamic of the characters. So it felt really out of place if you understand the books. Yeah, I mean, if you character assassinate her, you don't have to cast her. Mm-hmm. Saves on the budget. Sure, yeah, she's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Hermes decides that he's going to give them some items to help them on their journey. Gives them a canister from season one of Hercules Busts Heads, which is another reference that was made in book one that they were like, oh, God, the fans need this one. This is what they wanted us to reference that TV show from that one scene. Oh, but you know why they did this, right? Uh, oh, because then they make the great Nathan Fillion yes. joke after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after making this Easter egg, I, I literally wrote in my notes, they're trying to Easter egg so hard. Okay, wait, it's okay, because it leads to an Unreal Fillion joke. Because about the TV show, he says, best TV show ever. And then he stares into the middle distance and goes, so of course canceled, which is a great Firefly joke. Very, very funny. He says that he got it off of Deity Bay, which is another joke. Like, at least that one was better than Demi Google, where that's just like, what if we put Demi in front of a different word? At least Deity Bay rhymes with eBay. But whatever. He says that if you twist off the cap, you release the winds from the four corners of the earth. That tracks. And then Annabeth, who is supposed to be the smart one, is about to <laughs> open this canister inside of the warehouse. And he has to scream at her not to. What did she think? He just, he like just explained it. The four corners of the earth, like the globe. And she's like, what? It does what? Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. She's, she's not cooking. No, no. no. <laughs> Daddario completely out of the kitchen. No, not great, not great. So then he turns to face Percy, but then looks back to Annabeth to make sure that she's not opening it again. Great, <laughs> that felt off the cuff from Fillion and it's fantastic. <laughs> So then she even like her face like what? Yeah, and and she does a lot of these as Annabeth in the movie, and it's just like not good facial expression acting. It's like someone told you like look exacerbated, and she's like, "Am I doing it enough?" That's so bad. If you want to see what Mike looks like, just watch the movie. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I just nailed it 100% for the folks listening to the podcast after the fact. He then claps his hands for a new magical item to be brought to him. And of course, it's the classic item that we all know and love from the books, the magical tape dispenser, right? We all love it. Not in the books at all. Not in the books? Not okay. in the books at all. That's right. You can tell it's Greek because it has that pattern thing on it where it goes in the square. Very convenient that the exact... He's, he's arming them to go on this quest to stop his son. And it's very convenient <laughs> that the only two things they really need, he gives them. And they're probably are... going to be locked in a cell. You're probably going to have a boat and someone's going to drop the engine in. I've got you. I thought the comment you were going to make, because in addition to it being the exact two things that they need, it's also the canister is like on an actively moving conveyor belt. And it just happens. This place is filled. It's like Monsters, Inc. Like there's conveyor belts and stuff everywhere. <laughs> and it just happens to be like, I know what you need. Moves hand and it's right there. I get he's a god. So maybe he timed it perfectly. But then also he does happen to be standing in the exact situation where the mechanical thing drops the tape dispenser. Now maybe there's a bunch of them because it's a packing facility. But in addition to the items being convenient in use, he is in the perfect location. He timed it perfectly to his dialogue. That's really like a lot of stories do that, though. Like, like, Harry Potter always conveniently got everything that he needed whenever he needed it. Sure. So I, I kind of bought that, especially, like, when he's like, not to jump ahead, he's in the cell, and he's like, I wonder what this does. Exactly what I needed it yeah, to. Yeah, he does describe Hermes when he gives him the tape gun that it is a matter eliminator. He says, trademark pending. <laughs> he says that it vanishes whatever it outlines. So then George and Martha come back, 
George complaining about how was he supposed to be able to demi-Google Luke without fingers. Martha says, use the mouse. George says, I'm a snake. I eat mice, which is a great <laughs> joke and true to book form because George is always talking about wanting to eat mice all the time. So then, despite the general setback that George and Martha have of not having fingers, they were able to demi-Google Luke, and they have found him. He's on a yacht in the books. It is not a yacht. It is a cruise ship, and it has an entire army, like an entire battalion, instead of like 12 dudes. So <laughs> it makes a little more sense. But this is what I would say to your point, Stephen, mm, budget cuts. Budget I would cuts. assume renting a yacht is less expensive than renting a cruise ship or making a set that looks convincingly like a cruise ship. So. I don't make movies, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> Them CGIing an entire army would have got horribly. Yeah, it could have been rough. Could have been pretty rough. So this yacht is just called the Andromeda. In the books, it's the Princess Andromeda. But I guess if they had Princess Andromeda, budget cuts, they would have had to write Princess yeah. as well. That would have cost too much money. <laughs> and apparently, it's currently near Chesapeake Beach. Percy thanks them. George says, you're so welcome, and then asks Hermes if that was better. Hermes kind of shushes them back into their metal form. And then he wants to talk to Percy one-on-one, so he kind of shoots Annabeth and Tyson a look that's like, scram, I got to talk to him. And then he wants Percy to pass along a message saying, parents, we make mistakes sometimes, and Luke has every right to be angry with him, but he shouldn't be angry with the world, and he wants Percy to tell him that. Percy says he's not sure that there's anything that he can say that could get Luke to change his mind. Hermes asks him to try, because if there's one thing that he's learned in 3,000 years, 3,000 was an interesting poll, that it's only, you know, 1,000 years before the birth of Christ, I guess, <laughs> who is canonically established as existing in this film. But he says, if there's one thing I've learned in 3,000 years, it's that you can't give up on family. So then Percy decides- Isn't that exactly what he's doing? Yes. Like they say, why, like, why doesn't he go do it himself? Luke makes the exact same point that you're wondering later. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. He, he's right. Yes. I saw that, I was like, that's a pretty good point. <laughs> you should be mad. Percy then makes some awkward eye contact with Tyson and it stays on screen for a really long time. So that just again, like, I'm surprised there wasn't text on the screen that was like, they're brothers, remember? Like, it's just a real long back and forth of the two of them. Percy thanks Hermes again and then walks off and then Fillion gives him this happy longing look and he goes, they'll never make it. Oh, it's so good, he's so good. And here's where the movie tanks. So they cut to the beach and our trio is running along the dock. They see the yacht. Tyson rushes down to the water, convinced that Poseidon will help them. And Percy tries to let him down easy, like, oh, bud, I don't think it's gonna work. I moodily talk to the water all the time. And then I turn around before ripples happen in the water to let me know that my dad was actually listening. But <laughs> it does work. Rainbow the hippocampus shows up, which is a thing in the books. Rainbow's great. And honestly, Rainbow, the whole scene was fun. CGI is kind of cool. Rainbow looks mm -hmm. good. Big old water horse, they ride on it. It's great. The soundtrack was awesome for yeah. this part, honestly. Like, they yeah. did a good job. It's a fun time. They ride on Rainbow, and the one thing I did notice is that there is nothing else on the water. There are yeah. no boats. There are no animals. There is no anything except for them and some buoys. And, and it's just broad going. daylight. If anyone on that yacht is looking anywhere, there's, oh, they're coming. <laughs> but you'll notice that the yacht, when they reach the yacht, no one is lookout. Not a single person is looking outward. They're all inside doing whatever. There is a fun thing where Annabeth, as they're riding along, puts her hands in the water in an attempt to be like kind of cute, like, oh, we're in the water. But like they're not moving fast enough. So when they cut to the, her hand in the water, it's like certainly moving 
much more slowly than they are on the CGI. <laughs> it's very weird and just looks so different. But yes, they get to the yacht. No one is a lookout. No one at all. It's not that big of a boat. They could have one person at the top just kind of looking, but they got nobody. So well, they Chris just, Rodriguez only has so many things to do. Yeah, he's got to eat food and, yeah. uh, I don't know, be 38 years old. <laughs> But before they sneak onto the yacht more, Tyson gives Rainbow some sugar cubes because Rainbow's a horse, in case we couldn't tell by it looking like a horse. And what I didn't notice, I was wondering, like, does Tyson always have sugar cubes on him? But when we watched the stream, someone pointed out that I think if you watch the coffee shop scene, Tyson takes some sugar and, like, puts it in his pocket. Mm. So there at least is some continuity there. So then they go inside the yacht. And we see the Demi-Titans talking about something. They're like, oh, you got to see this. Check it out. And then they leave. And Annabeth identifies them as Chris Rodriguez, Ethan Nakamura, and Selena Beauregard, Ooh. which is interesting because those are three characters in the books who all do turn out to join the evil side. But Ethan happens later. Selena happens much later and is like a big plot twist kind of thing. So... I wonder if they knew at this point that they weren't going to make any of the future films because like Selena being a secret spy is like this whole big thing. So for them to just like burn that movie too would be ridiculous. It would be so wild. I'm starting to think a lot of this was not planned out well. I don't know. I'm intrigued. I do want to like genuinely look up like the timeline of what happened. When did they realize they weren't going to make more? Because there's so much stuff from overarching series. Like they kill Kronos, the villain of the whole series in this one. So like... They had to have known that they weren't going to make more out of it. It's real, what did they know and when did they know it situation? It's yeah. very interesting. But then the ending makes even less sense. Sorry, we're jumping way ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just a mess all around yeah. from start to finish. But let's talk about the fun yacht scenes. So Percy <laughs> thinks that Grover must be below deck in a brig of sorts. And Annabeth, the smart one, thinks that yachts don't have brigs. So then in the background, the entire time our trio is talking, you can see a tail menacingly dangling, and it very much looks like what would be the Manticore tail. The Manticore is a villain from the third book, but now it's here in the Sea of Monsters as well. Of course it is. Yes. So Percy then tries to sneak up the stairs to where the Demi-Titans were going, and we see that it is the Kronos sarcophagus that has him in it. At this point, we don't know what it is. We can just tell that it's very ominous because of the way that it is filmed, because <laughs> they keep <laughs> zooming in on it dramatically. So we get some vague stuff about what it might be, but then the buff monster comes in and it's just like some guy in a mask with hair. I don't know what Greek figure they're going for besides like scary guy, but <laughs> scary guy comes in and he starts to sniff around. So our trio tries to leave and they go to the exterior of the ship, but they are stopped by the manticore and it is pretty unsettling. Like it's quite scary. I guess they didn't care about any kids watching this movie because it's like pure nightmare fuel CGI. My kid actually liked it, but oh. that was that was like the moment where it's like, oh, there's actually in this movie there's like struggles to like be feel like stakes are real, and that thing is so scary that it feels like, oh, the stakes are actually real. That thing could do some damage. Yeah. Mm. So it's looking like it's gonna do some damage, but then Chris Rodriguez comes out and they're like, Chris! He can't do damage. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? He can't do damage. No, he He's cannot. He's just Chris Rodriguez. No, all he can do is show up and then be identified. So he does, <laughs> and he's with the other Demi-Titans, and they bring our trio in to see Luke, who is in some sort of captain's room with a projector projecting water onto the ceiling <laughs> of the roof, and then there's some classical music playing. 
So I need to ask you guys, like, okay. how do you guys feel about Luke? Because I, I, clearly in this movie, there's a lot of history from the last movie that uh-huh. we're not that privy to. Percy did him wrong or they battled or something like that. Like, what kind of villain is, is Luke? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because in the books, like, he has complex motivations. In the last movie and this movie, he's basically just the generic, I can do a better job villain. It's our turn. Yeah. Like his motivations, he's the bad guy in the first movie, even though in the first book, he's just supposed to be like a cog in the bad guy machine, but they just make him the bad guy in the first movie. And he has the exact same motivations in this one. So like, I don't know. It's fine. I think the actor does a better job in this movie. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a little bit of didn't know what to give him. We kind of gave him later series stuff in the first book. It was just, I don't know. It's just a lot. The actor, I also feel like the first time he saw Austin Butler must have been pissed because I think Austin (laughs) Butler has taken every role that would have been for that guy. (laughs) It is funny that you made this point because our mutual friend Bobby Wagner made the exact same joke when we were watching the stream. Shout (laughs) out, Bob. He was like, oh man, and this guy would have been Elvis. (laughs) He really got... (laughs) He got market corrected. (laughs) Shout out to Jake Abel. Come on the pod, Jake. We'll talk about your fun line where you say, get off my roof, which is really yeah. good. I didn't say, I actually, I thought he was kind of compelling he's, at points. Yes. Where he's not given a whole lot to work with. Right. right. I feel like in the first one, it's hard, but in this one, I think it's more clearly he was not given anything to work with yeah. is the vibes that I get. So when the trio was brought to Luke, Luke says, if it isn't my two favorite cousins, and then two seconds later to Annabeth goes, you look good, which is like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I know we kind of yada yada over the whole cousin Greek thing in this series, but like, maybe don't say you're my cousin and then two seconds later hit on her. Like, it's a tough look. This isn't Alabama, sir. International waters now, so. Oh, so anything goes? I guess so. Okay, sure, yeah, right. Percy asks, where's Grover? Luke says he should be somewhere in the Sea of Monsters by now. And then Percy realizes that Luke is after the fleece too. So then Luke decides to just reveal his entire plan to Percy Jackson. That was the Scooby-Doo moment. (laughs) Yeah, just, I'm gonna tell you everything that is happening. And not only does he tell them everything, he's like, you want to see the sarcophagus too? Like, it's so <laughs> wild. He just gives away everything. Luke says he found it himself by crawling through the depths of Tartarus, quote, and then Cleveland, which is actually a great joke. Like it's so that. good. Enjoyed that. Really, really good. Luke then calls Kronos the original Titan, which is incorrect. And then he says that he's the father to the Olympians, which is correct. Luke says that he wants to use the fleece to revive Kronos so that he can destroy Olympus. And then Percy goes, end the world, as if that wasn't implied, but thanks, Percy. Annabeth then asks if Luke is doing all this just to get back at his dad. Luke reveals no, and then he reveals his motivations, and they are the same thing from the first movie. Annabeth says that they saw his dad and then Percy passes along the messages of regret from Hermes and then Luke is all miffed that his dad didn't tell him himself, which is valid. Like he does have yeah, a point. has a point. But I guess his dad has a small business to run so he can't see his son. Though he's literally the messenger god. Nah, cat, he's busy. Nah. He's got packages to send and children to talk to for extended periods of time in his warehouse that aren't his own children. Hermes yeah. missed a lot of Little League games. This was never around. <laughs> Luke sends them to the brig, and then we get the world's slowest zoom in on the brig. Like, it's an exterior shot, and then you just see the tiny window, and it keeps going in as we see Tyson in the window. And then we get Percy saying to Annabeth, I told you they had a brig, which (laughs) is a rare instance of Percy Jackson noted jokester in the books 
telling a joke in a Percy Jackson movie. He never does that, wow. Annabeth thinks Tyson intentionally made noise in order to attract Luke's attention to get them to catch them. And maybe I was missing it because I was frustrated watching this movie, but did Tyson even make any noise? I thought that weird dude just smelled them and then they left and then the manticore followed them. I think his little pack jingled, okay. his pots and his, pans yeah, or the his, little yeah. mobile <laughs> kitchen, but it wasn't like egregious. No, and, it's just so weird yeah, that she would think I, it's intentional. Yeah, I think it's just Annabeth being racist as we yeah. established. Like, it's like, yeah. But what I love about that bit is she's saying that it just zooms in on Tyson. He's just staring at his fingers, just like opening and closing them, just like he's seen them for the first time. Uh-huh. Like, oh. And then we get another rare instance, Percy making a joke because he asks Annabeth, what do you have against Tyson? And then Annabeth says, he's a cyclops. And Percy then makes that so stupid. Uh, I think the politically correct term is ocularly impaired because some 65-year-old white guy wrote this movie. <laughs> and then Annabeth says, they're vicious. And it's very clear yeah. that he's not because he's doing that finger thing. And then Percy goes... Yeah, vicious. So two jokes in the same scene. Wow, what a ratio. <laughs> Annabeth then takes out a twig from Thalia's tree that's wrapped in a cloth and has been in her jacket the whole time. And she looks at it sadly as it begins to wither a bit. And yes, of course it's going to wither. This is a part of a tree that is no longer attached to a tree. That is just how trees work. It's not because Thalia's tree is dying. It's because this branch is not attached to the tree with the xylem and the phloem and the roots and everything. Come on! They, they taught us that in school. I do remember that. You're supposed to be the smart one! She's looking at it like it's the picture from Back to the Future. Like, it's gonna take Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's exactly like, oh, this tells us we're not doing a good job. Like, what's gonna happen? They save the day at the end and then the branch, like, turns into a tree? Like, oh my God. Percy has a plan of how to escape. And finally remembering that he is the son of the sea god and he's been on a boat for the past hour. <laughs> so he decides to channel the water around them to bring the bag that has the matter eliminator in it closer to them. They don't tell Tyson this, even though they're the only three people in the brig. Mm -hmm. So he just has to figure it out. This is where I had a question, having no background knowledge about Percy. Mm -hmm. Could he do this yeah. the whole time? Yes, yeah. 100%. With any water, just seawater. I think it's normally like any sort of like naturally flowing water, though sometimes he is able to do things with like fountains and stuff. So it's kind of just like basically any water. So up until this point, I was like, what is the big deal about this guy? Like he has <laughs> his click sword. Completely valid. He can scrap a little bit, but like you can do this, do it all the time. Just do it for fun. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it either. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> budget it, cuts. You know, how many yeah, paddle waves yes. can you make? You're right. <laughs> so then we see Luke and the way that they show that the boat is moving is he's playing chess with the world's worst chess set because all the pieces are just cylinders with like a divot in the middle. But also if you pause and look at the chessboard, there's like six pawns and one king and that's it. That is the chessboard. So it's supposed to be the thing where he's playing against himself. The game's over. There's one king on the board. I don't know what's happening here. Budget cuts. They couldn't hire a chess person. Yeah, yeah no, they couldn't at all. So this is happening. We can tell that things are moving. And then, oh, also in addition to the chess, he moves a pawn diagonally, but it doesn't like take another piece. He just like puts it. And then it also is an end passant. So he's just like moving pieces willy nilly. It's ridiculous. Five people who play chess will get that joke I made. But... <laughs> Then they are able to get the gun, they use it, and then they begin to escape. And 
suddenly as they escape, it's day. Like it's just noon now, even though it was night a couple of minutes ago. And they are stopped by Chris Rodriguez. They go, Chris! Uh, and then <laughs> Percy and Chris fight while Annabeth and Tyson go to get the lifeboat. Percy then tosses Chris into the water. He says, that's for Grover. Chris! And then the Demi Titans all have police batons, which I guess tracks because they suck. But Percy is then running towards the roof. There's one guy who runs up like all jazzed up to fight him. He like runs up like, ah! And then Percy just kicks him in the face. So it's like, ah! And then he continues on. Annabeth and Tyson just know where the lifeboat is, and it's like behind a secret compartment in the back of the yacht. They just like push a button, and then it's like, how the hell did they know where the lifeboat is? But they just get it. And they read the script. Uh, that's true, that's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Percy is then on the roof of the yacht, and one of the Demi-Titans goes, oh, we got him. <laughs> it's like, I don't know that you do. So at all- this point, did you guys know that he was about to use the water to do something cool? No, because he very rarely uses his water power. <laughs> okay, so because I was, I was like, they kind of do have him. How is he going to get out of this? Yeah, well, the, <laughs> I guess the, my confusion was that they go, we got him, and then they are all standing on like, oh, man. How are we going to get up there? Even though they all just saw him get up there. Like, it's not that hard. There was like a step and then up. But they're all like, ah, he's really high up. Like, they're Mario Brothers characters that can only walk laterally and they can't jump. So after this guy goes, we got him, then Luke comes out. And this is very funny. He goes, what are you doing? Don't walk on my roof, which is good. Very, very funny. Well delivered, well written, A+. But yeah, there's just like 12 dudes just waiting for Percy to come off the roof. Annabeth and Tyson just perfectly set up the lifeboat. They are completely unencumbered, not hindered. They just make it. The boat is not very big. Like, they probably could see this happening, and they're just like, ah, well, there's a guy on the roof. We gotta look at him. He's gonna scuff up the paint. Oh, my God, I just waxed it. Yacht owners have their priorities. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So then... Annabeth and Tyson are in the boat. Tyson messes up the engine by dropping it in the water. Annabeth scolds him, saying, that's genius. And I'm surprised she didn't say something like, I would know, I'm the daughter of the goddess of wisdom. But then Luke is monologuing to Percy again, trying to get him over to his side. I guess he's dialoguing to Percy, but he's villain speeching to Percy, trying to get him over to his side. Percy declines and then finally uses his water powers. And then he gets the water to knock everybody over and then Percy tells our team to go. Annabeth remembers that they have the canister so they open the thermos and then they use it to push the boat along. Percy says he'll be right behind them and then he makes a giant waveform and he surfs on top of it which is cool and makes sense. It It was fun. His dad's Poseidon. Luke and some other dude then jump overboard. The other guy just falls into the water. Luke somehow is able to also surf the wave even though his dad is not Poseidon. Yeah. I, I just kind of assumed that you guys were going to explain that to me. No, no. there's no explanation. It makes no sense it whatsoever. It makes no sense at all. I don't know if there's any sort of thing that you can say like, oh, I don't know, well, Hermes is the god of this, so it could be the way. It's like, it makes no sense at all. I was screaming at my television when this happened. Yeah, I, I watched this on airplane mode on the flight down here, and it's the only way I could have watched it because I was just so angry and couldn't stop it because I was in the middle of, a flight. Yeah. And the best but, was when you were watching it today, Kyle, you would text me things like every now and then of like, oh yeah, like Tucci's fun. And like, oh look, it's the guy from Ted Lasso. And then just like, as the movie gets worse, I got fewer and yeah. fewer text messages. The time in between got more and more spread out until ultimately you sent me one that said, well, that was a film. <laughs> but this point in the film, I'm like, oh, maybe he has his flying shoes from the first movie. 
but I was mm. not motivated enough to rewind to check if that was the case. No, and he just jumps on and yeah. is able to ride the wave. He slowly kind of walks yeah. up the wave. Percy does, and I think this would track to Percy's character, he lets Luke finish his sentence because Luke is like, Percy, you're on the losing side. You're not going to make it. And then Percy lets Luke finish and then just goes like, and just like splats him <laughs> off into the water, which I think was pretty funny timing. I really assumed you guys are going to be able to explain that to me. No, it is. It makes yeah. no sense at all. Like, I don't think Percy in the books ever does this particular water power, but like when you see it, you're like, yeah, sure, cool. That makes sense. It looks kind of fun. Yeah. Great. If I could do that, I would do it every day. Yeah, I would take it everywhere. Yeah. I, would, I would take like, take a puddle to work. Yeah. That'd be so fun. Oh, it'd be so good. But no, Luke being able to do this makes no sense at all. Percy then lands in the lifeboat and we see Luke treading water and being okay since as he established earlier in the film, he's a demigod who can swim, so he's all right. And direct then, quote. <laughs> direct quote. And Percy then calls Annabeth smart for using the thermos and Annabeth responds, thanks, goddess of wisdom's daughter, remember? Well, uh, no, I did forget because you tried to open that inside of the UPS. <laughs> oh, God. So... Then we get a scene of Luke back on the boat trying to talk to the chronosarcophagus dramatically, saying like, oh, I'll make them pay. And then we get back to our team on the lifeboat. The mist wears off on Tyson's eye. Annabeth tells him to reapply, which makes no sense because it's just them on the boat. So it's just her not wanting to look at his eye, even though he has sunglasses. There's no reason. And it's broad daylight, so he might want to wear them anyway. But... He's just there, and they make him spray it. He tries to spray it, but the bottle is empty, which tracks since Annabeth unleashed way too much earlier in the film. But Percy then lets Tyson steer the wind for a while, and he thanks him, Tyson saying, no one has ever trusted me with anything before. And then Annabeth, just completely out of line, goes, is that because of your lack of depth perception? <sighs> she's, she's deeply unlikable. It's so <laughs> frustrating, terribly frustrating. Percy asks if it's because people are scared of him, and then Tyson shares this sad story about the Boy Scouts in the mountains being scared of him, but, like, I can't blame the Boy Scouts. Like, he's tall and a Cyclops, and you're 12. Like, sure. Tyson says that he's beginning to wonder if he's a monster because everyone else thinks he is, and Percy says he's not, and he shouldn't be so hard on himself. And Tyson says, easy for you to say, Percy. You never doubt yourself. But I guess Tyson has not been watching this film where the entire thing Percy has done repeatedly has been doubt himself. But Tyson is confident in his brother, who he loves after sharing three sentences yeah. with him, I guess. Percy then shows Tyson how to use the thermos, and then, of course, the wind sprays right at the camera for the 3D effect. Whoa! And it is funny here, because it's like Percy... It, so in, like, the books, Percy's kind of, like, embarrassed by Tyson, that he's his brother, and they touch on it, like, very briefly at the beginning of the movie, and by this point, he's just like, no, you're not a monster. And it's just like, it's like one or two lines that they had that was like a big subplot of the book and they just kind of completely drop it. Yeah. There's no real like actual character moment to do it. Percy's just like, no. ah, I don't care anymore. It yeah. seemed very middle ground. Like he was kind of embarrassed about him, but then he's like totally cool with him now. And it, yeah. it's very mm -hmm. much like they didn't get into Percy having to defend him that much or anything. I think a big problem is that there's supposed to be moments throughout the story where Tyson does cool stuff and then Percy realizes that Tyson is 
someone that's very selfless and nice and, and not one to be embarrassed about. Like, Tyson's supposed to be the one that basically defeats the bull. Tyson defeats some giants in the very beginning that just got mm-hmm. completely cut from the film. Tyson, when they're on the Sea of Monsters, they get attacked by other things, and he basically, like, sacrifices himself to save Percy. And then when Tyson is gone and they think he's dead, Percy has regrets where he's like, oh, man, like, took him for granted. He was so nice. And then Tyson does come back in the end, and it's like, oh, wow. And then he, like, learns to not be embarrassed by him. And it's just like nice character arc, but you're totally right. Where Percy alternates either between oh, I hate this guy and like, no, nah, I love this guy. And then Annabeth is racist the whole time. It's just a mess. <laughs> it's wild. And we're out of time for the first act. So that is all the discussion that we're going to have here for the Sea of Monsters movie. You said awe? We get to not talk about this movie anymore. Come on. <laughs> but please give it up to Kyle and Steven for being fantastic guests for this first act. And we are about to go to intermission here, but if you're listening to the podcast at home, we'll go to the mid-roll break, which I guess will be the sea of sponsors. So let's all here say goodbye to the podcast people. <gasps> goodbye, bye, podcast bye. people. Hello and welcome to the Sea of Sponsors here with some fun updates and everything about the podcast. Here's an update for everybody. If you have the internet, that means you can attend a live show version of our first Heroes of Olympus episode. On March 10th, 2024, we're going to be doing a live show in Charlotte, North Carolina, where me and Michael Hollis will be covering the opening chapters of the first book in the Heroes of Olympus series, and we're live streaming that live show to everywhere where the internet exists. And if you're listening to this podcast, you get the internet, so you should come to the show. You can get to Tickets at thenewsolympian.com slash live. The stream will go live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Remember that Sunday is daylight savings time, so keep that into your factoring. But if you can't watch on that day or at that time, that is okay because the stream comes with a seven-day replay, so you can either watch it later or watch part of it and then finish it later, or you can watch it multiple times. Do whatever you want. I'm not your mom, but if you go to thenewsolympian.com slash live, you can get tickets. That's also where you can get tickets to the Raleigh show, which at the time of recording this only has 12 tickets left, so that is very likely to sell out before the show takes place. And then we'll have some of their live shows later in the future. I'm booking things in the Pacific Northwest area around July of this year because I will be at LeakyCon in Portland, Oregon over 4th of July weekend. The tentative dates are Seattle on July 3rd and Vancouver, BC on July 8th. But not 100% locked in, but you can pencil those for now. But aside from live showy type things, if you've been enjoying these episodes, you can watch that stream that we referenced in this episode and the previous episode, and we will reference in the next episode, the stream of me and Emily and Phoebe from Monster Donut and Bobby Wagner and Sherry Guo all watching the Sea of Monsters movie. That's available for all patrons over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. So if you join any of the TNO tiers, so five bucks a month and above, you can watch that stream if you want to see my genuine live reactions. It has live chat replay as well, so you can see all the stuff that the hundreds of people in the chat were saying. It's a really fun watch, and you can get access to that by going over to our Patreon. And speaking of our Patreon, I want to give a shout-out to the folks who have joined most recently. Shout-out to our newest Super God Tier patron, Evelyn, and shout-out to our newest Demi God Tier patrons, Jesse Imhoff, Lena, and Luke Basile. Thank you all so much for your support. May Demeter bless you that if you are buying bread, you eat it all before it goes stale or gets moldy. Now, on the Patreon, there's a bunch of other perks you can get. One of them is ad-free episodes, and another one of them is early episodes. I am recording this mid-roll break on Thursday, February 29th, because I believe I can get the episode up either on Thursday night or Friday morning. And if you can do some quick math, that is multiple days earlier than Monday when the episodes normally come out. So 
if you want early episodes, ad-free episodes, and so many other wonderful things like bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly Q&A live streams, we just recently did one, and more, you can head on over to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon. And if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch and I think you will enjoy them. I'm an independent podcast boy. And one of those podcasts that I make that I think you would like is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a podcast charity game show where I host and guests compete to solve children's mysteries and whoever solves the most correctly earns money for a charity of their choosing. We wrapped up season four recently. We did post a special season five episode one episode recently as well. It's really fun. You can play along at home and see if you would have won, if you can stand up to the likes of Encyclopedia Brown and Mystery Inc. and Shelby Woo and all these other wonderful people, Nancy Drew, everybody. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Meddling Adults or by going to our website, meddlingadults.com. Now, unless you are listening on Patreon where you get ad-free episodes, and also you can take the Patreon feed and put it into whatever podcasting app you're using so you can use that. I think it doesn't work on Spotify, but most other podcasting apps, you can do that. So that's pretty cool. You don't like have to listen on Patreon, but if you're listening to the Patreon feed, you're not going to get ads. But if you're listening to the public feed, we're going to take a break here for some ad reads. Some of them are going to be read by me, such as one of our new sponsors, Thrive, which is a organic grocery store that you can buy stuff online from and they ship it to your door. But some of the ads won't be read by me and those are inserted locally. So if you live in San Antonio, Texas, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for H-E-B. And my goodness, if H-E-B is running ads on my podcast and not directly through me, I'll be furious. I need to contact them about a direct sponsorship. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back into the rest of this episode of The New Olympian, which is Q&A. And because Michael Harley did the second act of the show, the Potterless portion, he stayed on stage and did the Q&A. So if you're wondering why the voice abruptly changes, that is because it's Michael Harley and not either Kyle or Steven. But once those ads ads are complete, we will get into that Q&A portion. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Thrive Market. Now, I would say watching the Sea of Monsters movie is an unhealthy experience. It's not necessarily good for you because of all the stress and stuff. But if you want to order some groceries that could be good and nourishing for your body, where could you do so? You could order them with Thrive Market. Thrive can be your go-to for grocery and household essentials. You can get everything online, delivered directly to your door, and they carry brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories and also also, you can specify with their filters particular things to meet your lifestyle needs, whether that is organic snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free items. You can do all that with Thrive. I appreciate that. I've been trying this year to be a little bit more intentional about the quality of groceries that I get, and I appreciate that Thrive has high-quality stuff. And I also appreciate that as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. Average users will save 30% each order. They also have a deals page that changes regularly, so lots of good stuff going over there. On my last order, I see $47.93. Without that savings, it would have been over $100 for groceries. So saving nearly 50 bucks was pretty sweet. And what's also pretty sweet is that when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need. They have a one-for-one -one membership matching program. So when you join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash TNO for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash TNO, thrivemarket.com slash TNO. Check it out and get some good things to put in your body, like the really solid sun-dried tomatoes that Kelly and I purchased today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Let's keep into the Q&A, though. First question is from Elsa. Elsa says, hello, Shoops. Coming back to the great movie, do you think that Tyson has better Riz with Annabeth than Percy? Riz is what the young... Oh, you, you're all, yeah, okay. They, no, they, no, thank you, because I was like, explain. Okay, yeah. I work with teens, but I don't know. It's short for charisma. So they're wondering here, do you think Tyson has better charisma with Annabeth than Percy? I don't think so, because Annabeth... Is just like just super racist. racist to him the whole time. Yeah. So I would imagine that he has a little bit better charisma with Percy, but I don't know. Well, uh, he wins over Percy faster than he wins over Annabeth. Yeah, but then Annabeth does out of nowhere just stop being racist about 75% of the way through the movie for no good reason. As racists do. I guess, yeah. They're like, well, now I know one Cyclops, my Cyclops friend, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but that was from Elsa and Molly. I don't know. I would say that I guess he has better charisma with Percy, but... It's a pretty low bar for Percy with Annabeth. Or were you, was your question, does he have better with Percy than Annabeth has with Percy? Was that the question? Did I misunderstand it? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> to that, I would certainly say yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's definitely got more riz with Percy than Annabeth does. Annabeth and Percy, like, they try to, like, hug a couple of times in the movie, and that's as far as it goes. And the hugs are unconvincing. But let's move on. This one is from Andres. Subject line, San Antonio Q&A. H-E-B is the best grocery store in the U.S. Bar none localized to Texas SMH. I agree, 100%. I think that H-E-B is the best and it should be national, but I'm afraid that if it gets national, it'll just like get slowly worse like what has happened to Torchy's Tacos. It's bad now, guys. It's rough. I can't eat at Torchy's anymore. It's awful. But come it, on the show, Torchy's. Torchy's, come on the show. Fix your tacos. But like, that's what like, I would love if Whataburger was more spread out, but Whataburger still slaps, so maybe it's okay that it's not. But anyway, HGB is fantastic. The email. Hi, Mike. So happy you made it to San Antonio and Texas as a whole. My question for you is, what would be your dream collab with the Percy Jackson series? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, if I get to just like talk to Uncle Rick directly, that would be very cool. You all hear this on a future podcast thing, but like, I was able to have my questions answered by Uncle Rick in like a press type thing, but it was like through a moderator and he didn't know the questions came from me, but it was like, huh, one of the questions is about the New York Knicks. I wonder who this was about. So <laughs> he has answered my questions, but not like directly. So that would be like the dream sort of like PJO, TNO collab. But as far as like, if I'm in the series, as I have said on the show, I want to be the confused, zombified dad on the Princess Andromeda. I think that would be really fun. So that would be, that would be my thought there. The next email is from Juliana and Tatiana. Your names rhyme, that's fun. Hey Mike, we're big fans of both podcasts and wanted to know, if the characters of Percy Jackson had Patronuses, what would they be and why? Also, what nectar flavors would the Harry Potter characters taste? So I'll take the PJL one if you want to take the Harry Potter one. So basically- I got it. Nectar, you might not know this because- Oh, it, I was listening. Okay, so now you understand how it's supposed to work in the books and everything. But for Percy Jackson Patronuses, I think I've answered this in the past, but I feel like an owl for Annabeth makes sense. Athena, owl, that's a big thing. For Percy, I could see some sort of horse because Poseidon is also the father of horses. So I could see that making sense. Tyson, I just feel like it'd be something tiny and cute, maybe like a bunny, <laughs> just like something really sweet. 
And then Grover would definitely be some sort of like mythical animal because in book four, he meets like mythical creatures that are going extinct. And I think anything like that, like a dodo or they had, I think the Tasmanian tiger was there, stuff like that. So Nectar for Harry Potter characters, what would be your thoughts? Well, when you were talking about it, with Sea of Monsters, I immediately was like, that's like Love Potion. Ah. And potentially the Love Potion in Harry Potter. Yeah. And they can smell something mm. that like means something to them or is like special. So we have some kind of answers. Like, although if it's nectar, that would be funny if Harry's is still cut grass. <laughs> um, although if you've tried the grass Birdie Boss Bean, it's really good. Oh. Um, don't knock it till you try it. My favorite weird um, one is earwax is like weirdly good. <laughs> you were wrong. Um, but in the movie, we get an even more of an extrapolation of what Hermione's is because she goes all the way to spearmint, toothpaste. And, but Ron, we never, I don't think we ever find out what his no. would be. But I'd like to think it would probably be something like his mother's cooking. Like oh, something that would like, be like, good. Like yeah. A nice like center taste from the Weasley homestead, yeah. which I just apparently remember is called the burrow. <laughs> I think that would track. This next one is from Ty. Ty says, since you're visiting San Antonio, my question is for the main three plus Tyson. What do you think would be their go-to breakfast taco orders? Which is a very important question. I feel like Grover would probably go with either like a potato egg and cheese or like a bean and cheese for vegetarian purposes. He does love cheese enchiladas. So I feel like he would definitely get some sort of maybe like egg and cheese feels pretty good for him. I feel like Percy, I guess, because of sea stuff. I don't know how breakfasty it would be, but I could see him. I feel, I want to say like a fish taco, but I don't know that it's a breakfast taco. I don't know that you're going to be that bold and get like a shrimp breakfast taco. So maybe not. Um, and then what would Annabeth and Tyson do? I feel like Tyson would do one that's a little more fun. Like, I, I forget what, uh, like you can get like the cactus egg and cheese ones. I feel like he could go for that just because it's a little different and off the uh, beaten path. And then, I don't really know about, Percy feels like he would just go with a classic, like maybe he would just get like a sausage, egg and cheese, like straight up kind of thing. And then Annabeth, I don't know. I could see her going a lot of different been ways. giving me such very polite conversational eye contact throughout all this. And I'm like, and you're just I, like I, I, I have know. no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. This next one is from Magda. And Magda says, hi, I'm Magda Ravenclaw. I don't know my godly parent, but my cat's name is Bacchus. I saw you in Houston and Dallas, and I'm so glad I didn't have to drive across the state this time. My question, Grover uses magic by playing music. What songs would the Harry Potter spells be? So, if Harry Potter's spells had to have a song, what would some of those songs be for some of those spells? Um, I, came I feel here like straight oh, from work, y'all. I don't have the brain for this. Knox <laughs> would definitely be "Turn Off the Light" by Nelly Furtado, <laughs> obviously. And then let's see. You could do "Alohomora" since it opens a lot. Could be "Break Away." Was like. <laughs> I feel like that could be pretty good. Or it could also be Wingardium Leviosa. Ah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Alohomora could also be Breaking Free from, uh, and that could I'm also breaking be. Breaking Free. Yeah, that, that could be anything. We're going to perform it right now. Yeah. No. Uh, I'll be playing Troy. Um, trying to think of some other ones. Oh, uh, here's a good one. What's the one that Harry uses all the time to make. Thank you, Expelliarmus. Expelliarmus could be Drop It Like It's Hot. <laughs> you work pretty well. 
Um, and then the email continues, also an unrelated, sorry I didn't finish your painting in time. Hopefully Stephen likes his. Appreciate all you do. So yeah. Oh, you're the so, one who did the painting. So yeah, so Stephen got this really cool painting and he did text me saying like, please make sure you thank whoever that is. And Stephen also said, can you ask whoever left me my gift to come by the merch table? I want to thank them in person. So they made this really cool painting of a, like not the Caduceus, but the medical one, the other one. Rod of Asclepius, thank you, Stephen Parra, medical person representing. And it has Stephen's thing where he says, like, my thoughts and opinions are my own and don't recognize and don't respect anything of a medical, blah, 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 blah. So that's all painted out. That's really cool. Don't worry about not finishing my Magda. I'll either come back or you can send it to the P.O. box or I'm, I'll come back to Texas. My parents live in Texas. I will do another live show in Texas. So you might, you might have to drive across the country if it's not San Antonio, but I feel like I'll be back. But yeah, that was super cool. It's a super cool painting. A plus stuff. Thank you for doing that cool stuff all around. Now. This one comes from Matthew Moreland, AKA Ginger Spurs Boy. If you are familiar with listening to the Horse Hoops podcast, subject line Ginger Spurs Boy at the San Antonio live show with a question and a lament for today's Spurs game, which I attended. Yeah, if you're a Spurs fan, that was a tough one. Not a great one. Lost by 40 points, which is not what you want to do. First off, today's game was very sad and I just want my beloved Spurs to consistently win again. That said, Tony Parker was honored at today's game. He was, it was accidentally Tony Parker Hall of Fame night, which is cool, I got a free shirt. Go France. So, uh, so my question is, if you were to pick five Percy Jackson and slash or Harry Potter characters to raise their proverbial jerseys to the rafters, who are you picking and why? So in sports, when a player retires. I see you're a stereotypical gay, so sports. <laughs> when, a, when a player retires and they had a very good career with the team, they will retire their number and put that jersey in the rafters so that no other player on the team can ever wear that number again going forward. So it's weird because I feel like Percy Jackson and Harry Potter characters don't retire, they just die. Uh, so maybe we can just pick dead characters that we like. You, you know who I'd pick. I think you'd know who, you know who I I'd mean, pick. at least for PJ, like, I feel like Zoe Nightshade would be a good one. You could retire like her silver jacket into the rafters because she has a cool jacket that the hunters wear. And I guess for some Harry Potter characters, like for Fred, I guess you could put his Quidditch jersey up in the rafters. That would make sense. Colin Creevy, you could put his camera up in the rafters, I guess. And then Lupin, maybe like a bar of chocolate or something in the rafters. <laughs> Did you yeah, have a better answer? I mean, his, he has a suitcase. His he has suitcase, his, his mustache. Maybe a wand. Yeah. Or his tonks, you could put you could put something in the rafters, but it just keeps changing colors <laughs> and patterns and stuff like that. There's a lot of good options. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. This starts from Gabriella. Gabriella has multiple questions. First one, I drove from San Antonio tonight. Uh, or is that for, oh, oh, so that was from the Austin one. Ha ha. That's great. It was like, we're, we're in San Antonio. You yeah, didn't I drive very well, far. But it was like a, a previous one, but now I can answer it here. I probably um, drove as far as you did. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does say, don't worry, I'm also going to the San Antonio show. I was listening to the Lightning Thief audiobook over again in preparation for the TV show, and there's Echidna, mother of all monsters. And I was wondering, if you were the father of all blank, what would the blank be? I'm also a senior in college and was wondering if you had any advice for me once I graduate. My advice would be, don't feel like you are locked into doing a job in your major, seeing as I am a mechanical engineer and professional children's book reader. So, don't feel locked in. I would say, like, truly, like, try to find something in your job that you like, but also don't be consumed by your work. Like, make the time to, whether that's, like, find new hobbies or rekindle old ones or find new friends or rekindle old friendships, like, Keep the part of you that is 
not just work. Because in college, it's easy to like you. have your friends and your roommates and your classmates and stuff like that. Like, I see too many people get sucked into work and they're like, oh, I'll try really hard at work. And then I'll care about life later. Care about life first, because otherwise you'll be 30 and you'll be like, I don't have any friends. <laughs> and then it'll just sound like you're in Pride and Prejudice. You'll be like, I'm 26 and I have no prospects. No. <laughs> I would say my biggest advice would be like, live a life. It will also maybe help you get a cool job like mine. But if I had to be the father of all blank, I don't know. Maybe I'd be like the father of all socks. I got a lot of cool socks. Today I'm wearing Christmas socks where they say sleigh ride, but sleigh is spelled S-L-A-Y. Um, so that could be a choice. But this follow-up question from Gabriella is, what is your favorite thing that you have signed? I haven't signed like a whole bunch of stuff. I'm trying to think if I've signed anything. We're like, I've signed... Oh, I, here's, here's the funniest thing is people sometimes ask me to sign like their copy of like books and stuff, which is wild. And I, I will often like cross out like the title of the book and write something funnier. But there was someone who asked me to sign a copy of my friend Lauren Shippen's book, like Lauren Shippen, podcaster and author. Someone's like, will you sign my copy of Lauren Shippen's The Infinite Noise? And I was like, yes. So then I crossed out noise and then wrote boys. So it was the infinite boys. And then I think I even wrote something like, I don't know why I'm signing this. Thanks for coming to the show and then signed my name. So I think that would be my answer. And I think that's a great note to end the show on. Thank you all so much for coming out to the show. Give yourselves a round of applause for making it out to the San Antonio show. Great way to introduce myself to doing a show here. Give it up to Michael for being a fantastic guest for act two and being subjected to the wildness of the things that I made him do this weekend. Give a round of applause to Kelly for running the merch table and holding it down. And give it up for everyone here at Paper Tiger for making it work, from front of house stuff to tech stuff to sound to everything here. Everything was fantastic, so give it yeah, up to the turned whole- turned Nocturnality into a yeah, big game club. The whole <laughs> Paper Tiger team. That was so smooth and so fantastic. I really appreciate it. But no, thank you all so much for coming out. I really, really do appreciate it. And I will, you know, I'll hope to find my way back into San Antonio. I will come back and maybe the Spurs won't lose by 40 next time, but we will, we will see. This has been fantastic. Thank you all so much for coming out. And until I return to do another show here, until then. Thanks so much for coming out, everybody. Hello! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Grugel. And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you can't get enough of the show, you can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we're on Reddit as well, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian. And if you really can't get enough of the show, you can check out the bonus content for the podcast at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. There's a bunch of bonus content you can get exclusive exclusive merchandise, lots of fun stuff there. And if you want other merchandise, you can go to our merch store, thenewestolympian.com slash merch. I mentioned the Patreon, so let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Sam Sam Reeby, Riley Kiddas, Mary Kelly, Mrs. O'Leary, Milo Kim, CeCe Reads 23, Sankoff, 
Hoff, Julia Kendall, Ricky, John Drielsma, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Kadoon, Sky Mallory, Persasabeth, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction Coming Up, Ginger Spurs Boy, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Olivia Krinicki, Mrs. O'Leary is Best Doggo, Bradimus Prime, Keepo Guy, McKenna Finley, Skylar Sisters, Demigod Nurse, Zachary Hamilton, Scott Sheldon, Sophie, Natanya Page, and Anne M. Thayer Cohen. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, just talk about the podcast, whether that is posting about it on social media or reaching out to someone that you think would like the show, or just leaving us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you are using. All of those things help. Spreading the show's existence via word of mouth is essential for the podcast, so I'm very appreciative to anyone who has done that in the past or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be joined by my sister, Megan Fruhoff, and my wife, Kelly Schubert, to conclude our coverage of the Sea of Monsters movie live from Dallas. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So this is a very New York City edition of ASMR Mike. I'm even recording this point as I wait for the subway. And the audio for the ASMR Mike segment is from a very New York coffee shop. Here comes the train. It's very loud. Okay, enjoy. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.